0: Well, hello Seattle, hello
1: Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Hope you're having a happy new year. It is, uh, well, about middle of January, and well, now that the Seahawks are out, uh, we've got plenty of time to relax in the weekend and find a different reason to enjoy the libations of life. Unless, of course, you make those promises to yourself where you might be, uh, well, perhaps on the wagon or on that diet or uh, you know, curbing some of that excessive um, entertaining and, and frivolity we enjoyed uh, the festivities of the holiday season. Um, but it is January, and there's lots to uh, look forward to in this new year, of course. Uh, the vineyards are kind of dormant right now. Uh, they probably won't be mm, getting touched uh, for another month or so until they start doing some pruning and things like that. Um, but we've got uh, plans to make wine tours, uh, plans to... Discover new wine regions and perhaps new beverages to enjoy, like mocktails. I've got a guest uh, coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about the National Mocktail Week, um, which makes drinking interesting, <laughs> delicious, and fun. Um, but I'm excited because I, we are celebrating an anniversary, and uh, it's kind of my anniversary because uh, this is another new year. It makes year five for Happy Hour Radio. Oh my goodness, jeez, where's the time go? Uh, it goes down um, my throat perhaps, uh, uh, one sip at a time. But um, when we think about the uh, AVA system in America, the American viticultural area, um, of course, we have uh, 14 now in Washington state, and many more coming up, uh, uh, in Oregon and in California. Go figure. There's one region that's celebrating the anniversary. It's Petaluma. And that is down, uh, in the Sonoma area. Uh, the Petaluma Wind Gap. It's the, uh, it's the gap where the, the breeze flows in and cools all the vineyards. And I have the president of the Petaluma Wine Gap Association, Justin Seidenfeld, is also the director of wine for Rodney Strong. Hey, Justin, happy new year and welcome to Happy Hour.
2: Happy New Year to you too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Well, first of all, let's uh, let's talk about where Petaluma is.
2: Yeah. So the Petaluma Gap is in the very southern tip of the of Sonoma County. Uh, In fact, the AVA actually incorporates a portion of Sonoma County and Marin County uh, in our geographical borders. So we're right north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, We border the San Pablo Bay uh, as well as the Pacific Ocean to the to the west, and then Carneros uh, to the east.
1: And how, how many square miles might that be, or hectares, or whatever you want to use?
2: Uh, well, the the gap is approximately 4,000 acres of vines. Um, it's a fairly large area in total, but a lot of that area is not plantable. So we have, um, we have a total of 4,000 acres of vines um, planted as we speak.
1: Is this different than the Sonoma Coast Appalachian?
2: So the Sonoma Coast Appellation, that's a great question. The Sonoma Coast Appellation is the largest AVA in Sonoma County, and one of the issues with it is it goes pretty much the entire length of Sonoma County, and it actually goes inland quite a bit. Um, At Rodney Strong, one of the wines that I make is our Chalk Hill Chardonnay, and even a good portion of the Chalk Hill AVA, which is kind of right in the middle of Sonoma County, is part of Sonoma Coast, which is nowhere near the coast. So something that we've wanted to do uh, for a while is kind of differentiate uh, what Sonoma Coast is. Um, And so the Pataluma Gap, uh, West Sonoma Coast, Fort Ross Seaview are all areas that are within the Sonoma Coast AVA, but are now kind of splitting off into their own uh, identities because there's things that make us distinct Distinctly different than uh, our, our surrounding areas.
1: Well, let's talk about the four thousand acres of vineyards that are grown in the Petaluma Wine Gap AVA. Um, how old are these vines? And uh, talk about. We'll talk about um, how did you decide what de- delineated the Petaluma Gap?
2: So um, those are all great questions. Um, first off, grapes have been grown in the Petaluma Gap for. A long time, starting in the early 1900s. Um, and over time, they've um, gone out of favor. Um, people felt it was too cold to plant fruit in the Gap because it's so windy and so uh, influenced by coastal environments. And then as people realize that really great quality wine grapes really need an environment that struggles, and in, in particular, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Syrah, grow better in cooler climates, it's really had a re- resurgence and a revival of plantings um, for extraordinarily high-quality wines. Um, And so uh, we have some vines, some old Zinn and Syrah vines that are very old, and we have some vines that are uh, new vineyards that are being planted as we speak, as the prominence of the Petaluma Gap has become more well-known over the last, say, decade. um, A lot of the higher-end, more boutique wineries have been looking to source fruit from the Petaluma Gap.
1: Interesting. So it sounds like, and I understand why red wine is probably planted more, or red wine grapes planted more because they command a, probably a little more uh, revenue than white grapes. But is that the case for uh, Petaluma Gap? I mean, is, is this somewhat um, because Pinot Noir grows, actually grows really well there and and therefore can be celebrated as a, uh, a fantastic wine region for that particular grape and like Zimbadel and Syrah alike? Or is it just that, uh, you know, no one really wanted to plant Chardonnay? There because there's a lot of Chardonnay.
2: Well, we're about about of our acres about seventy percent of them are Pinot Noir, Uh, about twelve percent are Chardonnay, twelve percent are uh, Syrah, and like one percent make up all the other varietals that you could think of. Uh, So definitely predominantly Pinot Noir, although um, a lot of the newer plantings are going in as Chardonnay because um, there is quite a bit of demand for this truly cool climate uh, Chardonnay um, that is. As the growth of Sonoma Coast Chardonnays have become uh, quite popular, um, a lot of that supply has been used up, um, and so there's, there's a need for more. So, you know, our vineyard at Rodney Strong uh, is predominantly Chardonnay of our 150 acres. About 138 of those are Chardonnay, um, and we make a single vineyard Sonoma Coast and, and will soon be labeled Petaluma Gap Chardonnay from that property.
1: Interesting. So, who started this whole process? Who decided that Petaluma Gap? Hey, we need to, to differentiate ourselves. Um, differentiate ourselves from the Sonoma Coast. We actually are more distinct. We have different soils. We have a, um, somewhat different uh, microclimates. Uh, who started this, and how long ago did this idea, uh, you know, g- generate? Uh,
2: so, our organization was started uh, back in two thousand and three, um, and that was really just a group of of wine growers getting together to really complain about how hard it is to grow grapes in the Petaluma Gap. (laughs) And then over the, you know, several years post that, um, we started feeling that, you know, we were pretty different than Sonoma Coast uh, was. And then when we got our big catalyst, uh, when the Gap's Crown Vineyard uh, Pinot Noir won number one wine in the world in 2011, it really catapulted, a lot of interest in our area to really, uh, you know, put our own flag in the ground, if you will. Um, and that's when we started doing all of the, um, necessary research to, um, figure out where our border should be, which were really dictated by, uh, wind speeds. Um, the, hmm. the Petaluma wind gap, um, is, a, a, a real, uh, climate focused area. And so there's a, a, a grouping of horizontal, um, or longitudinal hills that um, put a gap between the coastal ranges on the pacific ocean and allow so all so the mountains cold that air. run north
1: south you 're saying longitudinal
2: um, so yeah i 'm sorry uh, uh, so there 's the the main coastal ranges is, is north south and then we have this gap of uh, of latitudinal excuse me got it uh, gaps uh, and these these hills channel all this cold air that 's being sucked into the um, interior of California by the hot air that's that's uh, creating a pressure change
1: it's rising right and the hot so air is rising to, inland and is creating a vacuum so the cool air comes in and is drawn in by that that motion right the con what are they called convex right. or something
2: and so it creates um wind and also you know we call it bringing the coast to us so not only do we get wonderful sunlight but we get cooler cooler temperatures and then the wind is our added bonus that helps um kind of slow the vine ripening down it, it partially closes the stomates on the leaves Uh, because they're um, protecting themselves from that. Uh, It's not, you know, massive gusts. It's not, you know, 20 mile per hour winds. They range from 8 to 12 mile per hour. So they're not enough to totally shut the vine down, but they're just enough to help the vine struggle its way through ripening. So we get longer hang times uh, and more natural, uh, higher natural acidities uh, in the and the grapes, which produce wonderful characteristics.
1: Well, there's uh, it's funny because or interesting enough because uh, well, I should say I'm speaking with Justin Seinfeld, who's the president of the Petaluma Wine Gap Association, and also uh, director of winemaking for Rodney Strong there in uh, Heelsburg. Um, there are these great winds known throughout great wine regions in the world, whether it's the Levante or the Mistral um, or the Humboldt Current, so to speak, down in the South America. That wind has a um, an integral part of maintaining some of the the um, perfect conditions for uh, great wine growing or the struggle, if you will. Um, that's pretty neat. So I'm curious. You said that Cap's Crown, what, is that a single vineyard wine or is that a producer?
2: Uh, that's a single vineyard uh, site. Um, it is owned by Bill Price, uh, Price Family Vineyards, um, and uh, they sell grapes to um, many different producers, um, that produce single vineyard wines uh, from those grapes. It's mostly Pinot Noir, but there is a few acres of Chardonnay there as well.
1: Sure. And in 2011, obviously, that was a very drastic West Coast climate for winemaking that year, I know, in Washington and Oregon and California. Um, I'm curious, was that like a 2009 Pinot Noir, perhaps? Because I know 2009 was pretty warm.
2: Um, I believe it was the actual, um, to be honest with you, I I don't know what vintage it was. I believe it was either the ten, the nine, or the ten. Yeah, um, well,
1: interesting. That won the award, right? Because I can see that in a hot climate, that people are everything's really ripe or overripe, which can happen down in California uh, with Pinot Noir. But uh, I can see with that wind, and that's what makes uh, the Carneros District so um, appealing for Pinot Noir as well. What are some of the soils that take place uh, that are, are present there in Petaluma? And I know that in here in Washington, we talk about the Missoula floods, Lus, and uh, basaltic. Volcanic activities, which uh, helped create our specific terroir.
2: So most of the soils are based on an adobe clay, which is a, a dark clay uh, with high magnesium concentrations. Which sounds fairly negative, but it it really again it helps the vines kind of strangle themselves, and so we don't have overly <laughs> vigorous vines. Um, although we do, we're right on on the eastern border of the of the AVA is the uh, Rogers Creek Fault. So there is quite a bit of uh, volcanic uh, soils up at, as you go north in the hills, um, and you get above, say, four to 500 feet in elevation on Sonoma Mountain, and heading south, you can find quite a bit of um, nice volcanic soils. And then in the middle ground, you can actually find, while well, you have an upper base layer of maybe eight inches of clay. Right below that, you can actually get um, some nice sandy soils um, as well, which can lead to some wonderful uh, drainage if you do your uh, vineyard layout properly.
1: Got it. Interesting. Uh, who are some of the, the producers there that we can find perhaps up here in the Northwest?
2: So you'd be actually quite surprised at all the people that are sourcing, either sourcing grapes from the Pataluma Gap. Um, they might still be calling their wine Sonoma Coast and or... Um, now that we are allowed to, as of December 7th of last year, put Pataluma Gap on the label. Um, so you have the likes of Patson Hall. Mm. You have um, Kendall Jackson, has a, a very large property, Keller Estate. Uh, Flowers is a course, right. is quite a bit of grapes from um, Pataluma Gap. Uh, Ramey Wine Cellars makes a single vineyard, Rogers Creek.
1: Uh, wow.
2: Syrah. Um, Sojourn Cellars, uh, Sun Chase Vineyards, Garachi. Um, Rodney Strong, uh, Gallo Jay uh, makes sparkling wine from the Petaluma Gap, uh the San Giacomo's.
1: Um, <laughs> excellent. State. So that's a lot. That's a lot of pedigree there. Well, so fun. What's a website that um people can go find more information about tours and um wineries and events that are happening down there?
2: Yeah, so it's com. Um the next big event we'll we'll be having is actually we'll taking our our um Selves on the Road will be down at the World of Pinot Noir in Santa Barbara in March, early March. Um, and that's an amazing event, and we'll be there hosting a, a table and a, a educational uh, component for both days of
1: the of that event. Awesome! Hey, um, uh, Justin, then- that's it. We got the time yep. we got. Um, congratulations! Okay, happy anniversary, Justin Seinfeld, the uh, president of the and Wine Gap Association. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Right on! Hey, folks, stick around. We've got uh, Karen Rowley of Many More Travels coming up right now on Happy Hour Radio.
0: He's loud. He's proud. Holding nothing back. Michael Savage, The Savage Nation. Weeknights, 9 to midnight. Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, Puget Sound. Welcome back and Happy New Year still.
1: I can say that all January. Um, If you want to go traveling, perhaps to Petaluma Gap, um, you can always look on the website, do some things, uh, be bold and and do it on your own. And I know uh, being a a man who uh, is uh, afraid to ask questions or directions, that it's not always easy. And sometimes getting lost is is more frustrating than it's worth um, trying to do it all by yourself. And so I would say, you know, sometimes it's good to ask a professional and I've got a professional here. Karen Rowley. She is uh with many more travels and the curated journeys. I think it's curated journeys dot com. She is a professional based in Napa and she does special tours for food, wine, and more. Hey Karen Rowley, welcome to Happy Hour.
3: Thank you so much, Christopher.
1: My pleasure. Um I think it's great to promote, you know, I'm not always promoting cruises and promoting, you know, tours, but uh, you, your um, press release interested me because you have a uh, tour experience and your partner has a lot of uh, local chef experience. Talk about yourselves.
3: Yeah. So I've been in travel for quite a number of years. And when I came to Napa Valley, I started working with wineries and chefs and curating um, tours all over the world to different places, led by the uh, vintners and the chefs. And then <clears throat> about six months ago, I, um, a mutual friend introduced me to Barbara Alexander, and she ran um, or she was director at Napa Valley Cooking School for 16 years and was retiring, and we decided that we would um, curate these amazing, private, very special experiences here in Napa Valley.
1: That's exciting. Um, Napa Valley, there's a lot of wineries, there's a lot of activities, um, a lot of great sunshine in Napa Valley. Um, Is the company up and running now?
3: Yes. uh We're based in St. Helena, California. Uh, Many More Travels is the parent company at manymoretravels.com. And the division that we're um, working on now is called Curated Journeys. So, yes, it's up and running. We have um, uh, definite... um, dates on the calendar for uh, experiences for small groups of people here in Napa Valley.
1: I see. So is that something um, a, a pair can go, or are you looking for four, uh, foursome, or is it something like eight or a dozen people? Tell me, what are some of the parameters that would make this um, feasible for people to check out Curated Journeys?
3: So we operate with groups of up to 14 people. And it can be um, a minimum of eight people, and they are not necessarily from the same group of people. But um, you'll meet new friends and drink wine and eat great food and go to very um, um, private locations to have a different kind of experience than you would have just driving up and down 29 and Silverado Trail.
1: (laughs) Sure. So that's great. So you really, basically you have a, a set itinerary that you can go up and sign up for. Is that right? That's correct. And are they? Do you have a regular occurrence? Is there like, hey, we we this is a great tour. We do this every third week of the month. And do you or do you do you change them up? Or I'm sure you have relationships and you want to make sure that they're consistency and they know who you are and your guests and you know what they deliver. Tell us about some of the itineraries you have.
3: Yeah, so um, they start on Friday night. We go to a private location um, where chefs prepare food and pair it with wine. And then on Saturday, um, we have cooking classes, wine tasting, um, very rare and um, reserve estate wines. And then we have dinner at a very private location, either at a vintner's house or chef's house or some other place that is basically not accessible on a general level to most people. Then on Sunday, uh, we have a brunch cooking class at a very private location. Once again, we do Uh, wine tasting of rare and estate wines in private caves and venues. And then that evening we have dinner, um, again, at another estate. And these will be ongoing, and we're going to be doing them twice a month throughout the year. Uh, We're starting in March. We have uh, March 1st through 3rd, and and that will be our wildflower and wine tour. Uh, In June, we have summer solstice on June 21st. We have um, October and November as well planned, and then we'll be filling in those as soon as those those, um, tours fill up.
1: Well, that sounds really fun. I like how that you have a monthly theme, so you, you bring uh, the seasonality of the tour uh, into the the reality part, I guess we would say. Uh, I, I'm really uh, impressed by the amount of cooking you have because uh, and, and the privacy that you get because I think these personal experiences truly uh, are much more memorable. Of course, we can always remember something we did uh, in a public place, <laughs> but to have something, All I right. was just in Paris uh, in the fall, and we did a private cooking class with, um, you know, 12 of my new friends from around the world. It was really, really exciting because you get to meet some people uh, and you all cook the same thing and have a, a meal together, which is really, you know, a very human thing to do and to share.
3: Yes. Yes. And these are really um, exceptional experiences in, like I say, private homes, private estate wineries, private kitchens. And so um, you really leave the cliches and crowds behind on one of our uh, journeys.
1: Do you have uh, uh, room accommodations that you suggest and do you pick people up at different hotels or different bed and breakfasts or whatever it is?
3: Yes, we have um, a number of partner hotels that give us amazing rates. They upgrade the rooms to things like vineyard views. They include breakfast and amenities and um, we definitely pick people up. Transportation is all included.
1: Uh, that sounds fantastic. And h- how long? I mean, I know being on a wine tour and traveling in, in France and and of course California, Washington, that um sometimes you need a little downtime to sort of recharge. Uh, what's the What's the day start like? Do you have some? Hey, we're gonna drop you off to take a quick nap, <laughs> freshen up kind of thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's time on Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon where people can either go shopping in Yountville or St Helena or downtown Napa or they can just go back to their hotel and rest um, if they wish to. If not, they can party on with us at another winery and do some more tasting.
1: Oh, I see. So you can get off and get on and and just really either enjoy the full itinerary or take a little break to to recharge. Is that right?
3: Um, Well, not really. I mean, we want people to follow along with us, but there will be um, two optional um, times during the afternoon on Saturday and and Sunday. Other than that, it's a it's a structured it's a structured program.
1: I see, very good. And uh, are you are you the guide in the bus on on the in the van? And then is the chef your partner uh, Barbara? Is she wait, awaiting at the location where you arrive? How does that work?
3: So Barb and I quote unquote, lead these experiences. And sometimes she is, you know, leading people through a culinary garden somewhere. Um, Sometimes I'm leading them through, you know, different estates and wineries. And then we also have a number of um, uh, guides at our disposal here in Napa Valley that are just experts on the area.
1: Ah, very cool and you know when you say some of these private locations and some of these wineries um, I know that a lot of folks when they think about Napa they have a couple ideas oh we have to go to this place or I uh, really want to be at this place and sometimes not knowing what a winery is they're they're not sure what to expect um, are, are, are your wineries uh, you know highly rated or are they you know pristine places or tell me what makes those wineries so great
3: Yes, they are all extremely highly rated, small production wineries in the best locations, um, in Coombsville, in St Helena, in Napa, in Oakville, in Rutherford, and these are you know these are extremely um, well acclaimed and highly acclaimed wines from these family owned wineries. Very and neat. We don't go to the biggest estates. And we, you know, anybody can go to Opus One, anybody can go to all these other ones, but these are just really um, experiences that most people don't even know exist. And because Barb and I have experienced it for so many years as residents here in Napa Valley, we wanted to share those amazing experiences with these um special wineries with uh, our
1: our guests well that sounds fantastic now on the website it's dot uh these can be these will be listed and so people will find out maybe what the menu might be or or hey um what if i'm a vegan and maybe some of the wineries that you're you're listing or is this sort of a kind of a package surprise
3: Well, we do not list them because it will change all the time. They're very small. Um, Sometimes the uh, winery owners are not available. Sometimes the chef's kitchens are not available. But we have um, a number of venues for each category that we um, have partnered with. And so we cannot, um, you know, guarantee a certain venue, but we do guarantee an amazing elevated <laughs> experience for all of our guests.
1: Oh, wonderful! Well, one of the great experiences I've ever had was at Jarvis. Have you been to Jarvis?
3: Yes, Jarvis is is definitely somebody that we use. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean. People, people, many people will have heard of some of these, and many people will will not have heard. of I never of heard of them, Jarvis, so. and I
1: was blown away. So fun! Well, congratulations! Yeah. I'm really pleased that we could uh, share uh, your great tours, curatedjourneys.com curated dot com, and manymoretravels dot com. Karen Rowley, thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you so much, Christopher. You have a wonderful day. My pleasure. Hey, folks. Hey, stick around. Uh, we've got more coming up. Talk about some grift ideas if you missed it and some mocktails. Stick tuned on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp, weekdays 9 to noon, Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle, Puget Sound. Hey, welcome back to round three, or should I say round free as in alcohol free. Uh, I know a lot of people like me are taking a little break from the, uh, well, the libations, the pleasures of libations, Uh, especially in January. We got that diet, we got exercise, we got to cut down on some of that cash flow, Um, and I've got a very uh, local person here. Her name is Marnie Ray, and she is the uh, founder of National Mocktail Week which actually starts January 13th, which is tomorrow through the 19th. Um, Let's welcome Marnie Ray. Welcome to Happy Hour.
4: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on Happy Hour.
1: My pleasure. Um, Well, let's talk about you. uh, You're a a local person here in the Northwest, and uh, you've been here for 45-some years. Um, Have you been a hospitality professional, or were you just an imbiber?
4: I have not been a hospitality professional. I was an imbiber for a very long time. In fact, I always say I'm not even all that great in the kitchen, but um, (laughs) after a lot of years of being sober, 16 years actually, uh, and having no alcohol-free drink options, I decided maybe somebody better start making some.
1: Interesting. I know, um, who is my friend? Is it Cheryl over at Dry Soda? We had her on and she talked about the same thing. I think she was pregnant at the time and, and like, you know what, there's nothing for me that really inspires or inspires this dish. Uh, what was your sort of epiphany moment that, you know what, I, I'm tired of staying awake at night because I had iced tea at 7 p.m.? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, well, like I said, after so many years of just trying and trying and trying to find something besides a virgin something or another, um, my husband and I, about three years ago, we were down in portland we'd gone away for the weekend and we stayed at a really nice hotel that had a beautiful farm to table restaurant and i just I was just excited because I knew that some place like that would have um, something creative and crafted and They didn't, which, you know, that's kind of the norm, but it was just bad customer service. The drink was bad, and I just had kind of reached my frustration point, and I thought, dang, 15 years of this, and really not much has changed. And so I just thought, I guess nobody else is going to take this on, and I'm going to give it a shot. And my original intention was really to just kind of curate Um, the best mocktails I could find on the internet. I started a website and I was just going to share all of those recipes that I could find, but um, they were actually really hard to find on the internet as well. Three years ago.
1: Wow, uh, interesting. Me as a hospitality professional, I worked at a private club for a long, long time, and we had chefs' menus, and some of our guests weren't in the mood to drink, or they were the designated driver. So, at that time, this was probably in two thousand six. We were like uh, tasked with creating a very interesting, delicious drink that went with world class food, whether it be like roasted bison or um, a volute or something like that. And so, we really thought about really what makes th- drinks uh what makes flavor what makes um sensation tactile things exciting and delicious and of course it all starts with uh you know the five things we can taste so salt sweet sour bitter and umami mm-hmm. and when you we sort of deconstruct wine and, and that's how i got started making mocktails if you will it was or like i should say mock wine, I'm not sure what to call it, but um, we would take lemon juice, we would take some cranberry, we would take some um, uh, coffee, uh, decaf coffee, so people weren't up, just to create Mm -hmm. these concoctions that had had to sort of balance the expression and complemented the acidity or the savoriness of food. Uh, Did you do some experimenting on your own? Um, I
4: tried. Uh, Like I said, I'm not even really all that great in the kitchen, so I did my best, but I definitely don't have the flavor, knowledge, and experience that someone like you might have, so I actually have hired some recipe developers to help me with that, and I've worked, I've been interviewing uh, bartenders and restaurant managers to try and figure out what the customers want. Um, I think what the norm usually is, is, you know, they try the uh, tonic or soda with some muddled fruit and herbs or something, which is great, but I was looking for something a little more crafted, and... So I've, I've had to outsource that. That's not my strong suit. I'm happy to be the taste tester.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is always the most fun anyway, sometimes. Um, well, that's interesting because I know that in the last two years, this whole idea of shrubs has made a renaissance. And I think that's yeah. really helped move uh, the, uh, the barometer of elevating mocktails.
4: Agreed. Agreed.
1: Have you played with, uh, I mean, are some of the, the recipe makers, are they working with uh, cider vinegars and raspberry vinegars or other th- balsamics, things like that? We
4: have. We um, I, My developer right now is working on a recipe with some balsamic, and I had a company um, by the name of Element Shrubs send me some samples of their product. They have a vanilla chai shrub that we're really excited about to try and put something together with.
1: Hmm. Interesting. And you have an event coming up, obviously National Cock- Mocktail Week. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Mocktail Week. All so th- right. this is a national tour. Are you, you're actually touring the country and sharing uh these non-alcoholic sans alcohol beverages, is that right?
4: Well, what I'm doing for National Mocktail Week is um we're hosting Sans Bar, which is uh founded by Chris Marshall down in Austin, Texas. He is actually doing a nationwide tour. Uh, 16 states, starting in Seattle, will be his first stop, and we're hosting him here. Um, So that event will be next Thursday... Seventeenth, uh, I believe, from six to nine PM at the Factory Lux, which is the old Rainier Brewery in Seattle.
1: Yes, uh, that's a fun little spot. They've done some great remodeling there. Of course, the parking is free, and uh, it's uh, yep. it's a cute little location. So, this event, obviously, uh, we're we're excited to be the epicenter of the mocktail <laughs> movement right now. Um, <laughs>
4: we are the leaders in the movement. That's yes.
1: right. Well, we you know we've got uh, we've got I mean. Washington State or Pacific Northwest has always been known for entrepreneurs and ideas like the dry sodas and um, oh my my bloody Mary guy um, and of course all the uh, tech companies we've got here in and- and just yeah. just everybody's got ideas because, of course, it's always gray, and we've got too much coffee, <laughs> and
4: so we're thinking. Right, we need something to do, right? That well, is right. And I'm happy to say that Dry Soda is actually one of our primary sponsors for the event, and they are sponsoring Chris on his uh, Sands Bar National Tour as well. So, so excited to have a Seattle company on board for that.
1: Yes, and they've got some fantastic products. They've really expanded the idea of what you know what flavors are. Um, are popular or they're creating that, that trend. So at this event on uh, Thursday the 17th from 6 to 9 p.m. at uh, Stand Out the Factory Looks, what's, what's going to take place down there?
4: We are debuting three new alcohol-free cocktails um, with dry soda product. We have live music. We have some appetizers. Lots of really good people. We have a flair bartender that will be there for a bit. And then we have a kind of a speakeasy bar set up um, as a special treat as a fundraiser for Recovery Cafe of Seattle. Those drinks are specially made for them and all the proceeds from those drinks and some of the proceeds from the event will go directly to Recovery Cafe. Well,
1: that's what's fantastic. It's always great to, to support what's challenging in our community and to take care of people. But everything will be sans alcohol, correct?
4: Everything will be, yes. You are correct.
1: Excellent. And is there a chef creating some food? Do you have uh, um, some – is this kind of like, hey, try these mocktails with these particular savory bites, and that's going to help people get the idea that this isn't just something you sip on its own. This is really something you can have as a mature adult beverage in a <laughs> mature adult setting?
4: Right, yes. We The event will be catered with Heavy Apps, and they have been – um, paired, as you say, to go with the drinks that we've chosen for the night.
1: Well, congratulations. Do you have a website? So where can people get tickets?
4: Uh, people can go to my website, which is com, and there's a link right on the homepage there to hop over and get the ticket.
1: M-A-R-N-I-E-R-A-E.com. Yep. Ray. That's, That's cool. Great. You also have a Facebook page. Is that right?
4: I do Facebook and Instagram. You can find me Marnie Ray on both pages.:
1: You know what? We need to have a mocktail contest. I mean, you need to sort of sort, you know, crowdsourcing some ideas and see sometimes, you know, people actually, I spilled some of this into that, and it's like that Reese's peanut butter <laughs> cup, right?
4: <laughs> You're right. You know we actually, when we started planning this event, uh, the Sounds Bar event, it actually started out as a mocktail competition. But we didn't have enough time to pull it all together. So we're thinking maybe uh, this summer we might try and put that together.
1: Well, I would love to help with that. Um, I have a little experience myself, and I, I think it's great, especially with this whole farm-to-table idea. We've got this, this wealth of, of, uh, of just ingredients here in the Pacific Northwest, a bounty, if you will. And I understand you are actually now this evening at a, at a television or a TV shoot. And um, when's that show going to air?
4: Uh, we are actually at an evening magazine shoot at the moment and that's going to air Tuesday night. We did some shoots this morning at my home just making some you know, home bartender type mocktails and we're now down at a Edmonds restaurant by the name of Calypso that has some Barney um, Ray drinks on their menu.
1: I love it. Well, congratulations. Very exciting to see you on Evening Magazine this Tuesday. I look forward to seeing you Thursday, January 17th, 6 to 9, at Factory Luke's, where we have the Sands Bar um, from Austin, Texas, and uh, a lot of great mocktails for Recovery Cafe. Hey, Marnie Ray, uh, thanks so much for sharing your story on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you so much. I love it. Hey, cheers. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, stick around. I've got some great ideas for gifts and a couple of products, a beer and a book. Uh, you got to stay tuned. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. Uh, Of course, we got lots more shows coming up in the new year. Our fifth year. So excited to be part of uh, the KVI family Want to Know Weekends. Uh, I know that December is just so fun, so nuts, crazy. Of course, everyone's doing holiday parties. Uh, You may have heard the show while you're driving someplace or in that Uber, if you are, (laughs) will, because you took a designated gyro, which is fantastic. Um, And some of the things, you know, I get all these things across my desk. I can talk about some of the gift ideas, uh, some of the products we had, some of the books I saw. But sometimes it's just too crazy in December. But uh, I wanted to wait until January so I could talk about some, some of these products, some of these things that came across my desk. And one of the things is, uh, of course, is beer. So I've got this great beer. It's uh, actually, of all places, brewed in Miami, Florida. It's called Biscayne Bay Brewing Company. And they just sent me this uh, beer. It's a dark beer, which is perfect for this this season, right? We want something full and flavorful and, and not quite as refreshing, something we can relax and just enjoy. Um, and this is called Buenas Noches, uh <laughs> it's a barrel aged stout, and of course you know me one of the things I like about uh uh you know big beers is that this is uh, clocking in at ten point one percent which uh having a 22 ounce beer heck ten that's like uh, it's a double shot right there at ten percent right because ten percent um ten percent of, of alcohol of twenty two is two point two so it's gonna be a full bodied beer and I gotta tell you um I've got it in my hand. And one of the things when you have a, a large beer, a large bottle like this, twenty two ounces, sometimes you can't drink it all in one sitting. And that leads me to this next idea, this next product. It's called Physics. F-I-Z-Z I-C-S. Physics Draft Pour. Um it's it's like your own little keg tapper. Uh, at home, it's got a draft handle. It actually pumps the beer through into a glass, so it looks like you know you can. You're not pouring it into a glass from a bottle. You're actually using this device to pull it from the bottle into your glass, just like at a tavern or a bar or wherever you go drinking. That's got kegs, so it's kind of cool because it plugs in. I trust it keeps it slightly chilled. Uh, It also has some batteries, but, of course, everything is USB these days. And what you do is you you actually, uh, it's a cylindrical device. Um, It's got the tap handle on top. It's got a little antimicrobial drip mat. Uh, It's got the base, draft tube in the system, and a faucet. So you put this bottle of beer on the base. You enclose it, seal it tight, and then you plug it in. And then you've got this. You can take little tastes of beer. Um, you know. You know. I can. I've got a big glasses in my house, so it's never a problem whether we're trying to, um, you know, pour light or pour heavy. Um, but this was kind of interesting. I thought it was kind of cute. It's one of those gifts you'd probably see at the sharper image if that place was still around. Or uh, obviously, one of those things for the guy who has got everything. They certainly don't have this. It's called physics draft pour. F I Z Z I C S. Uh, the website is physicsgroup.com. And, you know, it's if you've run out of ideas, you got to get something for, uh, well, someone who really likes draft beer and, and wants to be a, a beer tender. This could be the perfect gift. Um, physics Draft Pour. Kind of fun. Uh, I just also got a book. It's about beer, since we're talking about beer. It's called Nevada Beer and An Intoxicating History by Pat Evans. Um, you know, when you think about How beer traveled from basically uh, Europe to the United States by immigrants, uh, whether they came from Germany or Belgium or France or Czechoslovakia, they all had their local beers. And so by drinking those beers, they kind of knew how to brew beer because some of them were probably brewers and working in a brewery. And then they, uh, whether it was war or famine, they came over to America and started crafting something that reminded them of home. And as uh, our population grew in the United States and everyone moved westward, of course, beer was one of those partners uh, in settlements. And one of the largest things that took people west, of course, was the gold rush. And so uh, Nevada, California, Alaska, um, that's what makes Seattle such a big place, right? Because we had the Alaska Viaduct, the Alaskan Way. It was the uh, great Alaskan-American expedition, the portal to the uh, the Pacific was what uh, Seattle was called. But Nevada too had their time in the sun, or their mine in the sun. And of course, they had breweries. Uh, and if you're into beer, you you really like a little history and some fun reading. Um, this book, uh, it's it's a short tome. It's probably about 170 pages. It's got some great photos of breweries that existed and that are still around. Um, but it tells you for the story about uh, uh, the the beer. Um, the rise and fall, the big boom and bust of breweries in Nevada. Kind of fun. Um, of course, they've got some, some big breweries there now. Uh, the Reno Brewing Company, Big Dog, and Great Basin. Anyway, that's the story about all these fun things that I missed in December. Hope you enjoyed the show, and remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!